my name's David Squires. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? Is, you know, football ultimately is um, is a hobby and it is something that should be, um, you know, it's a pastime. And although we all care too much about it and it is, you know, people have, you know, tattoos and name their children after their favourite players and that sort of thing, um, you know, it, it's not life or death. Uh <laughs> I've just re I've realized I've just done a really long-winded version of the Bill Shankly quote there. Um but we've got but, it as our opening uh, <laughs> opening music. Oh so. really? <laughs> there you go. You only get into out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm -hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Hello and welcome to Man Marking, episode 30. And today we are speaking to David Squires. Sure, um, I'm David Squires. I'm a, a football cartoonist. Um, people will probably recognize, or if they do know who I am, then they'll recognize my work from probably from The Guardian. Uh, I work for The Guardian in the UK and Guardian Australia. Um, and then I also work for L'Equipe in France and Elf Freunde in, um, in Germany. So pretty busy. Um, so that's me. I am joined in the studio today by Ryan Pulford, Anthony Olsen, chaps, lads. Lids, the boys, the fellas, the guys, the gang. Um, Ant, how are we? <laughs> Good, yeah. I was wondering how many, uh, how many names you had. I was, for, I was running out yeah. quite rapidly. Well, you were going to do it like alphabetically. <laughs> no, well, I could have done, couldn't yeah, I? Could've. Do you remember those people in school that used to be able to do the alphabet backwards? What? Do you know I ever remember having someone that's going, oh, I can do the alphabet backwards. You know, how much use is that going to be, mate? I think most people can do the alphabet backwards. Go on, go on then. I'm not going to do it right now. That's no, ridiculous. Yeah, Come on, carry on. Um, how are we, mate? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, how are you? Good. Cup of tea. Sun's cracking the flags. I know. Good to go. The weather has changed quite significantly, which is interesting. Um, this week, we, we spoke to David Squires. Before we get on to his interview, we have a, an opening question, which is inspired by our guest listeners. Um, David Squires, as you know, very famous cartoonist, and he was actually involved in the designing of... Herbie the Hammer, the West Ham mascot, and Rockin' Robin, the Swindon Town mascot as well. So, what I want to know from the two chaps in front of me is what is their favourite mascot moment, of which there, there have been many great ones over the annals of time. Uh, Anthony's been chuckling away over in the corner, so I'm going to go to him first. I'm sure it's going to be super exciting. What have you got for us, Ant? It's quite a struggle to narrow it down. Yeah, um, there are many. There are two that I like. Uh, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with this this one here. Cyril the Swan, the uh, already good. The Swansea mascot. <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, do you want me to just read his little Wikipedia bit? Yes, please do. Um, Cyril was voted best mascot by readers of the BBC's Match of the Day magazine. So it's a great start. Really good. Great accolade. Unfortunately, his antics have got him into trouble with the police on several occasions. Several, <laughs> mainly for fighting with other mascots and stewards. 
Uh, and he actually got accused of bringing the game into disrepute. <laughs> <laughs> what for? Oh, you want to look at this. Highlights of his troubled semantics include <laughs> removing the head of Millwall mascot Zampa, the lion, and dropkicking it along the ground. <laughs> On a Dutch TV documentary, when asked what he said to Zampa, he replied with, don't fuck with the swans. <laughs> he was fined a thousand pounds for it. Crikey. <laughs> Uh, and uh, what was your other one, mate? Oh, yeah, the other one was, uh, I don't know if you remember, we spoke to um, Bobby Madley about this, about the uh, oh, yes, Captain Blade mascot yeah. for Sheffield United who held up a free the Preston 1 sign <laughs> during a game um, because the North End mascot was uh, was led away by Deepdale Stewards. Didn't he pull on the back of the goalkeeper's yeah. shirt when he went to take a goal kick? Yeah, he was... Uh, <laughs> He was messing around with time wasting stuff. <laughs> uh, Ryan, same question to you, mate. Your favourite mascot moment? So, we all remember the poppy that tried to tram me somehow <laughs> wheeled out a fella. I don't know if it was, I was either a kid or someone like Danny DeVito because it was very do, do, small. Do, do you remember he was holding hands? Because <laughs> he didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was holding hands with somebody from the forces. Was he? Yeah, someone yeah, from the yeah. forces like him out. That's even worse. And he had these big, stupid, comfy shoes on and I don't we, think he could walk or see where he was going. We should, we should clarify at this point, this was on uh, Remembrance yeah. Sunday weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. And there was a minute silence. Both players were in the circle. <laughs> we, had, we had the whole, um, the fellow with the horn. The, the bugle. Last, the last post. Oh, yeah, yeah, the last, the last post. post. And then we decide that we're going to bring it off. <laughs> <laughs> Life-size poppy. That is disrespectful, do, isn't it? Do you know, do, I, well, it's, 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 come it's, on. It's not great. It's, it's cheapening it. No, it, but it? it's meant to, obviously. Someone's thought that's a good idea. It's no a terrible idea. It. Yeah, but it's but been signed off by someone. person's done that and gone this is a great idea and then they've seen it happen live and gone what have we done I think for me like I didn't even take it in because I was obviously focused on being silent and at the time if you see it the ground's pretty silent and this little poppy's just waddling to the centre it wouldn't have even been as bad if they got him in place early but we were waiting on him And the other thing I You're remember, on in five, Poppy. <laughs> another one I've got, and I don't even know if it's an official mascot, but do you remember guys who had a dog dressed as a lion? <laughs> so, <laughs> they had this huge, like, Rhodesian ridgeback or something so, with a wig on. So to set the scene, uh, when Tramia were in the National League, we went up to Guysley, which is just outside of Leeds, and um, it was a bank holiday Monday. And uh, there, was, there was there was quite a lot of us down there, wasn't it? About twelve hundred or something. And we're in a terrace behind the goal, and the the, the terrace kind of we get a little bit of the side, which yeah. kind of joined with where the Geisley fans were. And in the Geisley end, there was a dog that, when it was on its hind legs, was about nine foot, <laughs> and someone had put like a mane on it, so it looked like a lion, and it just stood against the wall <laughs> for the entire match, just looking at us. It was so. Weird. It was unreal. But apparently, he's a regular feature. Yeah, yeah. It was honestly, it was bizarre. We'll put some photos up for those who yeah. don't know what we're on about. Yeah, it was absolutely extraordinary scenes. Um, I the think w- they called the Lions guys like randomly. Yeah, I think they probably that's where are. It, comes from. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> um, well, well, now you've said that, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just thrilled. That's the part that didn't make absolutely. sense. Just put a wig on me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um. Why have you left that lion there? It's not a lion, it's a dog. Um, <laughs> I went for when Harry the Hornet dived in front of Sam Allardyce. And uh, and he was, fu- he was fuming. <laughs> Listen to Allardyce's quote. Remember, this is about a man in a giant hornet's outfit. Okay, you ready for this? Yep. 
The mascot is out of order, isn't he? If someone is diving, they don't get that angry. There's contact. It wasn't given. A man in a giant hornet's costume. Um, yeah. Didn't he piss off um, Roy Hodgson as well? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because yeah. he had a go at... Did he have a go at Zahar? This was the incident. So Zahar went down in the, at the end of the oh, right, Palace okay. game. I'm it, was, it was Allardyce's first match as Palace manager. Uh. And Zahar went down looking for a penalty. Got booked for diving. And then at the end of the match, Harry the Hornet ran in front of Sam Allardyce and dived in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> and Allardyce was, was giving him loads of stick and saying he was out of order. Oh, bringing I, the game into disrepute. Much like Cyril the Swan. Oh, I can't get over him saying, don't fuck with the Swan. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, so that's enough mascot chat. We've obviously got David Squires, um, which I think uh, was an absolute pleasure for all of us to to get to chat to him. We're all big fans of, of David, as I'm sure many of you lovely listeners are out there uh, of his work, of his of his hilarious cartoons. Ryan and 04, the fact, is an enormous fan of one in particular, which we will get to in the quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> it may involve a dildo in the ear, but we'll get to that. Um, so, first of all, Ant, do you want to tell the listeners why we, why we wanted to speak to David and, and how this interview came about? Yeah, so... Obviously, he's, he's quite a well-known, uh, well-known person within the game now, and football has this weird way of creating people to be involved in in football in such a weird way, and like drawing like cartoons and stuff doesn't really seem like the most uh, like adult thing <laughs> to to be looking at or, or anything like that. But it's just so fun. Yeah. <laughs> like some of them are just hilarious, and it's just a great take and on on the ridiculousness of football. And I think. I mean, we've mentioned that 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 dildo incident there as well. I think when that happened, I think I can't imagine he would have been able to, you know, control himself when he saw it because it was just, yeah, well, <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, there's there's me uh, me eight pains of of, of writing well, sorted. It's, it, it it's kind of like the the best thing about football I find now is that because because in a lot of ways it is so ridiculous at the top level, like it, it's like caricatures of themselves it's, it's ridiculous they at take any themselves, level look at well yeah that's true <laughs> but they take themselves so seriously that I feel like David is like perfect for the way that he kind of yeah. he just captures the ridiculousness of it and why that it, it's become like an entertainment source of itself yeah. hasn't it some uh, stories are better told as a picture as yeah, well yeah oh, like, 100% that, I can't believe we're saying dildo so much on the show but that dildo one <laughs> You wouldn't read that news article more than once, would you? Just think no. that was a ridiculous thing. But you can look back on that all the time, and that picture pops up every time. It gets me. Yeah, every it's so time. good. It's so good, and it's it. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, which I'm sure all of you out there have seen it, we will post it on on the socials <laughs> so you can see it because it's. <laughs> um, anyway, Ryan, we always have a we always have a theme. We do. Um, do you want to tell the listeners what this week's theme is? Yeah. So the theme this week is the pressures of perpetual creativity. Fantastic. Um, right. That's enough of our nonsense. Sailless one and such. We're going to leave you with David Squire's interview. We will see you on the other side. You are, of course, listening to Man Marking, and please enjoy the wonderful David Squires. What's your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory is, uh, so I'm a Swindon fan, but my earliest football memory doesn't involve Swindon. It was, I was thinking about, about this the other day. It was, I think it's the 1983 FA Cup final. I got into football probably that season, the 82-83 season. 
um, I came to it reasonably late. I think I was about eight by that point. Um, and I think I, I got into football purely through the Panini football sticker thing that was you know, doing the rounds in, a, in our school. And that, that cup final was the first big match I remember. I remember the build-up more than the game itself because um, well, it's Manchester United versus Brighton. And I remember Brighton's manager, Jimmy Melio, was quite an unusual-looking man, even for 1983 standards. You know, he had the sort of the, the Terry Nutkin's hair, um, which I'm guessing might be sort of coming back into fa- fashion with the uh, you know, COVID-19 home hair, haircut sort of uh, thing. And um, I remember that Brighton went to the game uh, they didn't get a bus to Wembley. They, get, they got a helicopter, which, you know, to an eight-year-old seemed like the most amazing thing. Um, and it was a good game as well. Um, from, I mean, I think you've got that, that thing where you, where you have these implanted memories from, from watching highlights on, on YouTube and that sort of thing. But it was a cracking game. Uh, but really, I remember Jimmy Millia's hair and Brighton on the helicopter. I remember Swindon Town played a friendly against Chelsea. Uh, around that sort of time, around 83, 84. And I told one of my friends that, I don't know why I did this. I said, I told him that my uncle played for Chelsea and that we were getting free tickets. <laughs> Absolute bullshit. Um, but, and so then, you know, that kid told everyone in the school, oh, you know, David's, David's uncle plays for Chelsea. Um, and, you know, obviously, even then, in those pre-internet days, it didn't take long to work out that my uncle Ken didn't play for Chelsea. <laughs> onto your onto your cartoon work, David. Your I believe your first published work was in the Twin Town fanzine. Um mm. when Duncan Shearer moved to, to Blackburn in ninety two. How did how did that come about? So um I mean, it's quite easy to get get something published then. You could just draw it and, and send it off and they must have been pretty uh, slim on uh, on material that month because they because they published it, um, I think uh, that that was it. Really, I, I hate this. I haven't seen it since, um, and uh, I, I'm not in any hurry to to see it now. Because I I know when I draw my cartoons now. Thankfully, I've got an editor who uh, who's, who can spot the typos because they're hand drawn and, and all the rest of it. But then I'd have been I think 16 when I drew that cartoon so it would have gone straight into print without any sort of proofreading and um and yeah there is i am still bitter about duncan shearer going to blackburn rovers in 1992 they they absolutely signed him so that um so swindon and blackburn were going for the last playoff place in the uh in the the first division and uh, or whatever it was called then might have still been the second division then i don't know uh and yeah blackburn just Suddenly, the newly cash, the newly iron rich Blackburn Rovers, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, sweep to to buy someone who um, who they just stuck in the reserves. So, yeah, yeah, he only played about six games or something for them, didn't he? He did, yeah. I don't know if he scored for them either, but then he went on to have an okay career. I think he went off to Aberdeen and he did pretty well up there. So, um, but definitely, like the, the highlight, the best days of his career were, were with Swindon. So, uh, but looking back now, I you know. I don't begrudge him his big money move. Um, and obviously that that sort of time was kind of coinciding with the start of, of Sky and Sky Sports and, and, and their kind mm. of broadcasting of the Premier League. Sort of, and this is quite a broad question, but 
how has your job sort of changed between then or the role of of what you do between then and, and, and now in terms of how football has changed with the, the advent of the, the Premier League and, 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 and that sort of thing? Sure. I mean, uh, I was only really drawing cartoons as a hobby at that time. And it's only been in the last uh, five years, actually, that I've been doing it professionally full time. But um, yeah, I've always drawn them as, as a hobby. The subject really has, subject matter has sort of kept rolling along. I suppose the the main difference now is the is the audience, the size of the audience, and how um, how easier it is to uh, to connect with them. So uh, when I was starting out as an illustrator after I left uni in the in the mid nineties, um, like to to get a job, you'd have to ring up, make an appointment, then go along with your portfolio and. Uh, and have a chat and, and talk through it. And if you weren't a sort of outgoing type and um, if that kind of thing didn't come easy to you, then, then it wasn't, uh, wasn't ideal. Plus, you know, the whole media industry is based in, uh, in London or most of the print media industry is anyway. So um, I ended up moving to London to, to pursue that and then, you know, got sort of waylaid into taking on other part-time jobs and then, almost stopped painting and drawing completely um, just because, you know, life's, life takes over and it, it really fell by the wayside. And Sorry, I've given you my entire life story here. That no, wasn't no, really the question you asked. But, no, no, it's um, fine, David. But it was only when I moved to, um, to Australia uh, 11 years ago that suddenly I had found that I had a bit more time and um, a friend of mine suggested that I just spend an hour a day um, painting or drawing or creating just so I have that that outlet um, and it didn't matter if it's good or terrible uh, it just it was the the um, the habit of doing it and uh, that really from that bit of advice has probably led me to um, to the point where I was doing it professionally but just just getting back into it and picking up little jobs here and there at the same time as social media exploding and being able to instantly share your cartoons and your ideas and your drawings with people. Um, so for all the evils that, that um, you know, Twitter and Facebook bring, I, I am painfully aware that I pretty much owe my career to it. So would you, do you consider yourself an artist first or a, like a commentator first? Because you do obviously sports and, and sort of social and politi- political issues as well. Would you... Do you think do you think of yourself as a, as an artist first or as a, a sort of social commentator first? I'm not sure. I don't know where I fit in, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't really fit into the. I'm not sure if I would call myself an artist because um, I don't know if you'd seen how badly I've been drawing today. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a good day to do this because I've had a, a, a just a day where I haven't made anything good. Um, so I don't really fit in with the, the art community. I don't really fit in with the cartoonist or illustrator community because I just purely um, create cartoons, well, mostly create cartoons about football. Um, I'm not really part of the, the sort of written fraternity. So I sort of float around. Um, I've always considered myself to be, and without this wanting to sound like too sugary, um, but I've always considered myself a football fan first. 
like in everything that I've I've ever done, that's always been my primary primary driver, which is completely pathetic, I know. But nearly every life choice I've made has been based around, you know, how easy can I still watch the World Cup? Um, you know, there have been, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, like major social events that I've missed out of and skived so I can um, so I can watch, you know, a World Cup group game. And there's been, uh, you know, it's probably a reason why my career never really took off was because the whole time I was just thinking, okay, how can I fit my working life around watching football, going to football? It's so um, it's unhealthy and it's bad advice to, to anyone. Um, but yeah, so I probably think of myself as a football fan. That's probably what I'll be written on the uh, on the headstone here lies dave he he really should have had some other hobbies <laughs> just on your job david it obviously relies on you being constantly amusing and creative and insightful just how difficult is that um i probably put more pressure on myself than uh, than anyone else does um oh sorry put more pressure on myself than like no one puts pressure on me to, to be, to be funny or anything like that. I think, um, probably know when a, when a cartoon is hit the mark from, from the reaction I get from the number of people who read it and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the mental health thing, I guess, um, the, so I'm a worrier the whole time I, you know, worry about everything. If I go on holiday, I'm worried about, you know, this and that it takes me, you know, a good week to, to unwind. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose the job of creating these cartoons and trying to think of, you know, funny jokes the whole time, it's not always possible when there's other things going on in your life. And even if everything's going swimmingly, um, you know, to sit down at your desk and say, okay, now think of eight jokes about this subject. Um, it's not always easy. And then as time goes on throughout the day, you get more stressed. That you also work in Australia, Germany, and France, as well as England. So I suppose yeah. you have to take in cultural differences as well, of what people will find funny in different regions, and also what's going on in those countries as well. Added in the mm. the time frame, um, is it a lot more pressured than it appears? With um, so with France and Germany. Um, I'm lucky that, we, especially with um, with Elfreunder, um, I work with a writer called Uli Hess, who um, he's written the books. Uh, you, you might have heard of them, Tor, they're like a, a great book on German football history. Uh, he's also written books about Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. He's, uh, I think he's a bit of an Anglophile and he completely gets my humour. And I think that the English humor translates quite well into German. Um, and so the way it works is I send him, we'll talk about a subject, I'll send him uh, a script and then he translates it and then I, I copy it out. It's like being at school again, really. It's like mm -hmm. copying out these reams of, uh, of language that I've got a bit of an understanding of, but uh, I mean, really not much. Um, and if there's anything doesn't quite uh, land, he's uh, 
he's he'll he'll point that out he'll say that you know a certain turn of phrase or a certain joke or a, a cultural reference um would go over the heads of of the readers and i do exactly the same with lekeep i work with um with someone there who um it's it's exactly the same deal he he'll tell me if you know um a joke that i'm making will completely baffle french readers i think that like i've never made i've never hidden the fact that i'm english and i think that um i think that you know that's that's one of i suppose britain's decent exports is is uh, is comedy and humor and uh, i think that uh, maybe we have a reputation for for a certain style of humor and maybe i'm typical of that uh, so people take that into account and take pity on me um and in australia working here uh luckily um australians are probably um it's probably the most sarcastic country <laughs> in the world so i mean that they, they 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 get my sense of humor as well so that that mostly works okay there are little sort of cultural differences that don't don't quite work but um but yeah it's uh i think people make allowances for the fact that, that i'm from <laughs> that i'm from swinton <laughs> and and how much sort of research and time drawing goes into on average a drawing because appreciate it's something that somebody might read in maybe 30 seconds which must be a really strange feeling for you that that might have taken you five hours or whatever it may be and then all of a sudden it, it's over for the for the end, end person yeah. in like 30 seconds can be like cooking a meal yeah you slave over a meal and someone stuffs it in their face <laughs> it's good like if as long as they're eating it then that's fine um yeah so in, in terms of how long it takes uh i guess so for the guardian cartoon that that most people would be familiar with my work um it's, at the moment it's kind of all up in the air um but i set aside two days to to draw the cartoons um and so with all things being normal like in the old world before covid 19 i would keep a i always have a notepad and i'll keep notes throughout the week and then on a sunday uh, i'll sit down and um i'll sort of i'll write a, a loose script or a loose um outline of, of what i'm going to write and what i'm going to draw and on a good week there will be like one one huge story that everyone's talking about um say i can't even think of any now but say for example when granite jacker threw his shirt off and you know um something like that where everyone in in football is talking about it and it's it's a focus and there, there's lots of opinions then that's great and i can sit down and just write a whole cartoon about that and do that in um yeah in two days but other times say you've got a weekend where there's there's been you know not much has really happened then you sort of earn your, your money a bit more by looking around the, the edges and, and trying to I, I suppose um cobble together eight jokes about what's happened over the weekend and try to find a, a loose thread between them all um so yeah it, it does take a while um and then i do that for the french magazine german magazine do that for guardian australia so yeah i'm pretty busy which is good i don't want to complain about it it's uh, i know that a lot of people don't have 
work at the moment, so I don't want to be sort of whinging about having work. But I think when you're when you are a freelancer, that the um, the temptation is to say yes to everything because uh, you know the fear of starvation is is a strong one. Um, yeah, I can imagine that. Well, you just mentioned yeah. there, David. Um, you make notes in the week and then you made start drawing on the Sunday. So where does work end and life begin for you? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, that's something that uh, my partner and I were talking about earlier on, that I just don't stop. So, um, yeah, that is something that I need to um, need to work on for sure, because at the moment I'm just not setting aside any time to, um, to relax. Um, so I worked all weekend. Um, I think part of that is um, because of, uh COVID-19 so at the start of the outbreak I lost half my work like half the contracts cancelled because there was no sport um and so I pitched for a load of other work um got some of that and now the uh, the magazines that dropped me have now things are picking up in Europe so you know I've been taken back on board so um I do have a, a big workload at the moment and again, that's not to, you know, complain about that because I certainly know that I'm I'm happier with the with the heavy workload than no workload. I was completely stressed out and just thinking, you know, I'm pretty much unemployable now because I've I've got this this sort of six five six year gap in my CV where um, I've pretty you know I've spent my time sitting on my desk drawing pictures of footballers. So um, doesn't really qualify me to do much much else. You know what I mean? So. Um, so yeah, you remember what I was saying about being a warrior? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that work-life balance is is something that I'm going to have to think about and work on. Is there an element of because of the nature of the job and constantly needing to find and come up with new stories and, and new things to print that you can't really fully switch off because you'd almost yeah. be turning a, a blind eye to potential content? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's absolutely right. And I tried to take a couple of weeks off a year. And um, what I do is I'll file cartoons in advance for, for The Guardian. Um, and But, you know, every time I do that, a huge news story always breaks. So uh, say, like, in the last year, I've had a couple of weeks off. The first week I had off was the week when um, – England players were racially abused in Bulgaria. So, you know, that's a, a story that I'm interested in and I want to read about. So, um, and then at the same time thinking, okay, well, when I get back from, from my holiday, I'm going to, you know, I want to write about this. So immediately I'm back, back in work mode. And then the other new story that broke was just, uh, would have been February, I had a week off. Uh, again, went on holiday, and the second day I was away was when Manchester City were um, banned from Europe. So again, I'm thinking, okay, when I get back, this is how I'm. This is what I. Uh, this is what I want to say. This is what I think. So I'm spending my time again on my phone, sort of, you know, reading about it and trying to get my head around the issues. So the only way that you can really switch off completely is if you go somewhere with no phone reception. And just commit to to not, you know, looking at the news or anything for 
for a week or 10 days, which is a really difficult thing to do. And you, you must work in isolation quite a lot. Are you somebody who prefers that or is that difficult as well? I think so, actually. It took me a long time to get used to it. So um, I got made redundant from my day, day job in a completely unrelated field in 2015. And uh, at that time, I'd been I'd already spent a year working for The Guardian doing the weekly cartoons. So... I'd work nine to five, come home, and then spend like three or four hours in the evening drawing cartoons. And I did that for the, you know, most of the 2014-15 season um, and was considering knocking it on the head. Like I was just thinking I can't, I can't carry on doing both. So, um, but then luckily um, I got made redundant. And at the same time, um, I had a an offer to do to do a book as well. So um, I had the redundancy, I had the book deal. So that really gave me the impetus to, to focus on doing the cartoon work full time, uh, which was still quite a sort of a, a brave decision for me as someone who's not, doesn't really take chances like that, you know, doesn't really like uncertainty, probably not cut out for freelance, you know, self-employment at all. I like the security of of knowing where my next paycheck's coming from. So that took a long time to get used to. Um, and definitely working from home, working alone, that took a lot of adjustment as well. Probably, I actually think it probably took me a good three years to get used to to, to working on my own. Because I am quite a sociable person. I do like being around people. But at the same time, when I'm what I've discovered is when I'm drawing the cartoons, I need <laughs> I need absolute silence which you can't always have when you're working at home. Like I don't live alone. I live with my partner. I've got two dogs who want constant attention. Um, in, in terms of that then, just touching on the redundancy, it, it's something that's come up a few times when we've interviewed people that the big opportunity was almost born out of what could have been a, a negative situation. And sometimes it seems it takes a redundancy for somebody to take a chance on their hobby or their passion. Mm. Do you think yeah. in, with that in mind, you become a bit more of a risk taker off the back of it or maybe had a little bit more self-confidence of I'm good enough to do this on a daily basis and, and you've so far been really successful off the back of it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. It does give you the confidence that that it's, um, it's something you can do every day. Um, and like I said, it was pretty out of character. I was already, so I got, the offer to start working for The Guardian when I was already employed, already in another job, uh, to do this weekly cartoon. And I actually, I got the email um, with the, the, the offer when I was on holiday for my 40th birthday. And that was uh, ooh, five and a half years ago, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, it was almost like a, a life-changing moment, you know, um, because I did, I was I'm in an iron about whether to do it because I knew that I already had this full-time job and it would be time consuming. I was also I freaked out a bit about the size of the audience. Um, although I wanted people to see my cartoons at that time, I had, you know, um, I was just sticking them up on my blog once a week, sharing them on Twitter, and I really freaked out about the number of people who could potentially be reading it in The Guardian. And I freaked out about the comments section as well. It was really 
just a silly thing. I should have, and someone just said to me, just ignore it. It's fine, which, uh, which is, you know, the most obvious advice. So, um, so yeah, there, there was definitely that, that crossroads and I definitely, I don't think I'd have been brave enough to have, um, to have made that change without that sort of financial assistance to, to get me going. Yeah. And as you've just said about the audience and the feedback, I suppose it's easy to tell somebody don't worry about it. But in reality, is is there a person on the planet who could submit at work to the audience you submit your work to and not worry about the reaction? And it's kind of strange one, I imagine, because if you're a musician or a footballer or an entertainer, the reaction's instant. So you perform your material in front of them and you can see whether they've liked it almost straight away. Whereas you're mm. submitting something and, and you've got that period to maybe think about or oh, was it good enough? Should I have done this? Or was 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 that the best version I could have released? Do you battle with yourself yeah. sometimes in that middle period of waiting for the reaction, submitting the work? I worry more about. Uh, so by the time I finish a cartoon, it takes me two days to, to do it. By the time I've spent working on the jokes, um, I've convinced myself that they're all terrible. Because you have this sort of constant thing of you need the critical thinking, you need to criticize the work. Um, and the line comes where you start criticizing yourself rather than, than what you're producing. Um, and when you cross that line and then you start thinking, oh shit, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, like this isn't funny. Um, it is easy to get into that spiral, but still like every week, even now when I send it off on a Tuesday, to my editor who's the most supportive like the best guy um even then i still most weeks i'm sort of wincing a bit when i send it i'm a little bit apologetic and say oh you know this isn't great but here we are um and yeah there, there is always that sort of i suppose waiting to see how it goes down i've usually got a good idea when um when it's a good cartoon um but just that process of staring at it for two days you, you do well i tend to convince myself that, that it's not great by the time I, I send it off how do you deal with that on a, on a personal level to to not eat yourself alive with that sort of mm. anguish of whether it's good enough do you have any coping mechanisms that you use i think experience is is the main one so i know that there are um there are certain time. I know the feeling now. I know that when um, when I am really beating myself up, that I can take a step back and say, "Come on, this is silly. You, you're taking this far too seriously. It's fine. It's okay." Um, and you know, with the the worrying thing, like I used to do, go through this thing where I'd send it off, and when there is that that moment where you're waiting to hit, hear back from the editor, or you're waiting to hear back from you know, whatever reaction, like I'd convince myself, oh no, they haven't come back to me for an hour. So they must be having a meeting about how they're going to tell me that I'm fired. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, so just that sort of going to the most extreme, um, you know, re reaction or that, that sort of that worrying, which is what I've learned is that that isn't going to happen. Um, and even if it did, then fine, you just go and get another job. Despite what I said earlier about being, you know, unemployable, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'll just do something else. 
is, so, is it hard then to ever complain or talk about the difficulties of work because it is a creative role? So is it almost like you're worried the reaction may be you love to draw, you draw for a living, you should be happy yeah. without yeah, realising yeah, yeah. the torment almost? Uh, there, There is some of that. And I know that people have, um, like, and I know myself, like if I'd heard someone 10 years ago um complaining about being a football cartoonist i'd be absolutely i'd throw my phone in the sea you know i'd be just furious <laughs> with them because it was absolutely my dream job and it, it still is i you know i love doing it despite you know the, the mental torment <laughs> that i pile on myself but like i say i've learned that it, it's sort of part of the the process and i've learned to sort of try and step back from that i know that there are um there are certain times like almost i don't know if it's you know, related to the lunar cycle or, you know, the tides or whatever. But I know that, you know, once a month, once every six weeks, uh, I'll just absolutely shit on myself for what I'm creating. Um, but I haven't had a good day today, like working today. Um, I just I haven't really had many good ideas. And, you know, you do tend to start stressing out because you're looking at the clock as well, thinking, OK, yeah, this isn't great. But what I've learned is that the best thing I can do is just stop, have an early night. You might have seen when we started this conversation, I'd cracked a beer. It's six o'clock here, by the way. So, or seven, nearly seven o'clock in the evening now. So, um, yeah, just relax, forget about it, come back and look at it again in the morning. I found in lockdown that it doesn't matter what the time is when you open a beer, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but <laughs> do you think you worry in the same way in all aspects of life and did you in your previous job? Or is it something that's relatable straight to your current position? Um, it's almost like your calling and what you were meant to do. Do you put add the pressure on or is that just in your nature? In all uh, that's, a really, that's a good question. I think that um, I probably worry more about this because... Um, but I always wanted to do a good job in, in the job that I did before. Um, and, you know, you, you take pride in, in your work. But for me, this is more personal. I'm, um, so on one hand, I was always stressed in, in my other job because I wasn't, I felt frustrated. I wasn't able to use this, this skill, my best skill, which is, is doing this. Um, but now I worry that, so this is so personal for me. I, like this is, I'm putting part of myself out there to, to, to be assessed. And that's the same with anyone who, you know, uh, anyone creatively writes or draws or sings or anything like that. Um, because it is, is a bit more public. I suppose there is a, there is an element of worry there. Um, it's probably that I care more, you know, and, but also there's a financial thing as well. Like, um, you know, I do worry about that because, guess you know, no one really gets rich from drawing football cartoons, and you know, like many self-employed people, I don't really have uh, a pension. You know, not really many savings. I rent. I'm in my forties, and you know, um, I think my peer group probably look at me like a bit of an outlier. Uh, you know, a bit odd that some of the the life choices I've made, but. At the same time, you know, here we are. People on the internet know I am. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose in any profession, there is good worry. In, and that might sound weird, but if you remove yeah. all of the worry and you remove all of the pressure, then your quality normally drops because you're no longer as focused and 
almost as bothered yeah. as whether it's good or not. And what I would say is with, with any work-life balance, I think at the end of the day, you probably do get a lot of satisfaction and you're very good at what you do. So it, there's, there's a way of people perceive you should live your life and have all the security, but most people don't do a job they love or what they're probably best at. So having that is is a huge positive and I think it, sh- it should be seen as that. Uh, do you have to yeah. sometimes maybe remind yourself of that? I do, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like having conversations like this helped me to help me to remember that I wasn't happy in the job that I was doing before because I wasn't able to, you know, express myself in the way that I can now. Um, and also I, what I try to remember is um, that a lot of what I do is like the jokes that I write, I'm taking the piss out of football clubs or individuals and uh this is why i try not to really be too mean about about individual especially in football um like i i try to avoid making a, a joke about anyone's ability as a footballer um and i'm sure now you, you know you can go back and find count, countless examples of where i've done that um but i'm i'm very aware that um that people that I'm drawing these cartoons of might might see them, um, and I wouldn't want to sort of contribute to anyone else anyone else's um, you know self doubt um, unless they're Michael Gove, in which case <laughs> you know <laughs> you know any of that lot then then fine. I think that you know politicians are a fair game, um, but well not all politicians, but you know. I don't need to name the ones that I'm talking about. Um, no, that's fine. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I am. I am conscious of the, of the impact that uh, what I write, what I draw, might have on other people as well. And does it get easier with experience, or does it almost become harder to maintain the standard you've set? Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess, like I was saying a minute ago, the, the experience I have now is to be able to step back and recognize where my mind is going to certain negative places that that you know i can i I suppose it's experiences equip me with um the ability to to take a step back and be a bit more rational about it and you know if this week's cartoon is a bit of a duff then you know let's hope next week is better like i do have times where i feel like oh no i've done like four bad cartoons in a row and this isn't great but then the cartoons that i often think aren't great are the ones that that do the best uh, or get the the most positive reaction probably um the one cartoon that the most popular cartoon i've ever done is probably one which um was uh when arsene wenger left arsenal and i did the cartoon about him and like the closing scene of the shawshank redemption right and uh, that was one that I completely lost faith in about halfway through. And was like, oh, that was one of the ones where I sent it off thinking, yeah, they're going to have a meeting about this. This is the end. And, you know, that's easily my most uh, popular cartoon. Uh, David, you moved out to Australia about a decade ago, did you say? About 11 years? That's right, yeah. Yeah. How did that move come about? Uh, so my partner's Australian, um, which is the... The, the short answer so um we met in england and um 
she she was over at, in the UK on a working holiday visa and yep a few years later we, we moved down here so uh so yeah I've been moved down here in 2009 um and yeah feels I think it feels like home uh, how how is that life difference over there then compared to here because obviously you know, sometimes you you hear uh you know, Australia is basically just like a sunny England, but it, when you when you meet some of the people from there, you can realise it can be completely different. Yeah. Uh, so, because I, I, I've been here for so long now, I kind of I feel that I, I'm not sure I feel like a, a Brit anymore. Not not sure. That I, well, I, I certainly don't feel like an Aussie, but I think I've certainly adapted to life a bit easier here. Um, as as a British person, because my partner's Australian, I've got Australian friends. Whereas I know other expats who've come here, and it is just do treat it like little Britain and just hang around with Brits. Uh, having said that, I have got friends here who are who are English. You sort of gravitate to people who who have similar sort of interests and, and backgrounds too. But that job that I had when I when I moved to Australia. Um, involved a lot of travel so I got to see a lot of Australia um, both the capital cities and regional Australia um, spent a bit of time with um, in or in indigenous communities which is probably something that a lot of Australians don't um, don't experience so I was really lucky in, in that sense um, and yeah so I think obviously the political changes in the UK over the last you know, four or five years um, have m made me feel a bit further removed as, again, you know, um, like say, for example, Brexit is something that has driven a wedge through through my family as it has with, with many families. And um, yeah, I guess you sort of, you start to look at things slightly differently and certainly there are times where I feel homesick, but they're, they're less frequent. Whether that's a result of of, uh, of those political changes or whether it's just a result of being here for so long, I don't know. Do you get a, a completely different view on like English football um, compared to what you would have when you're at home and you're in that bubble? I suppose, um, yeah, maybe, because now I'm completely reliant on, um, on social media, pretty much, to, to get the gauge of what people are talking about outside of... You know the, the newspapers and the and TV. You know I used to have those conversations with my friends or in the pub or in work. Um, whereas now I hear those com you know I get those conversations through through Twitter, and that can sometimes be misleading. There have been times where I've drawn cartoons on subjects where I thought, oh, everyone knows this, everyone knows what I'm talking about, and then you know it's it's complete complete bafflement, mass bafflement I cause because. You know, it turns out that only a handful of people have seen the tweet that I have. Um, so it, it can be, yeah, I, I don't think I'd have been able to do this job in the in the pre-internet age, not from not from overseas, certainly not from Australia. And do you get any, uh, you know, obviously you work abroad, there's a, a bit of a, a foreigner, really. Do you get any different response because of that to your work? With, uh, I mean, with the French and German magazines, I have no idea. I, I, I don't even, like, I, I just, I don't know. It must be what it, what it must have been like to be a newspaper cartoonist in the, you know, 80s and 90s because you just do it 
send it off. You don't really get much feedback other than thanks. It gets published and you don't really hear about it again. Um, I, I, I assume they're, they're received okay because, you know, I'm still, I'm still employed. Um, with, the, with the Australian uh, or Guardian Australia, um, I've been here, been here a while now, so I know some of the sort of cultural touchstones and um, I think people enjoy the outsider's perspective. Um, and I sort of, I think I've got or managed somehow to get a lucky innate sense of, of where there's a line where, where not to, you know, not to cross too much, you know. So um, you can point things out about uh, a country's, you know, culture, but um, you don't want to go. You don't want to go too far. For example, I've been told I can't ever make a joke about Mark Viduka. He's like a god here. He's <laughs> completely different status to in the UK where we sort of think, yeah, he was all right, but, you know, Mark Viduka. Dave, you, you said you, you do political cartoons as well as uh, sport ones. How do those two roles differ or, or do they differ? Because I imagine you, you're still taking the piss out of what is seemed top-level people. If Roy Hodgson decides to drop a player from, you know, from Palace, then then no one other than that player, his life is really ultimately affected. But you know, the decisions at a political level can can kill people. So what I've under, understood is that people are more sensitive about jokes about uh, about politics. Um, and so the first time I really cover politics was for the 2017 general election, which already feels like a, a lifetime ago. Um, and yeah, that, that was a real eye-opener for me. But in a positive way as well, I learned that there was a different set of skills and there was a different approach that I would need to take. Um, so yeah, it's, it's slightly different. But I mean, the basic, basic premise of every cartoon I do is that it's, got, it, that it's funny. Basically, I want to make people laugh, um, and obviously that's that's not possible with every subject. But for the vast majority of the cartoons that I draw, I just want to make them funny. Yeah, and does that go uh, like talking politically? Does that go either way? Because there's a lot of stuff that one side does that is quite funny, and then another side does that is even funnier. Yeah, it's important to be non-partisan and. Uh, you know, to call someone's behaviour out when it needs to be called out. And this is what I find baffling about um, some political cartoonists who work for, you know, conservative papers or um, both here and in the UK, is it's almost becomes like a, it's not political satire, it's almost like a branch of propaganda. Mm. Um, so I, I'd like to think that, you know, um, no matter who was in power, I'd still be, you know, questioning them and taking the piss. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> the, yeah, I think the taking the piss thing is the most British thing of questioning someone ever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it translates well in, in, the, in Australia. Well, that's why um, I've, I found it, the transition to Australia quite a bit easier because they have the same approach as well. Back in 2015, um, the French cartoonist uh, Charlie Hebdo, um, mm. they were victims of, of terrorist attacks on the back of religious and political cartoons. As someone who, obviously, I assume you would have heard of it and, and seen it outside looking in, 
as someone who's trying to get into that industry at the time and did that ever change the way you approach your cartoons i'm not sure if you were doing a, a lot of political stuff at the time but yeah does, does that have a have an effect yeah it didn't really it didn't change the didn't change my approach it it certainly didn't stop give me sort of pause to thought as to whether i should do this job or not uh, i was i mean i was still working in um i think i was still i think that might have been before i was doing this full time anyway but um but yeah no i think um certainly didn't change the way that that i write or or approach the cartoons or anything like that but um it's a good question but but no it didn't it didn't change me in that sense is that however well this needs to be done kind of thing you know we need to keep doing stuff like this yeah totally i mean you can't you can't let that sort of thing stop you from 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 doing what you do so um and there is a you know an important place for for cartoonists or for for anyone who any sort of social commentary so um yeah i guess you can't you can't be bullied out of it and um you can't be intimidated and not not i mean that does doesn't just stand for you know the most extreme mm. you know terrorist reaction but um yeah anyone it seemed like you'd have to be a little bit thick-skinned as well if if you know you're getting uh you, you know a few replies back and you know people don't like the political ones or the, even the football ones you know i know how tribalistic football fans can be um, mm. so does that kind of go that kind of add to your armor when those those uh things kind of happen those responses come in yeah i suppose with um so with some cartoons i want to provoke provoke a reaction so um say for example the the newcastle takeover i did a cartoon a few weeks ago about that yeah and i got an angry action reaction from a lot of newcastle supporters and um i think i felt that i was in the right there and i felt that it was something that, that needed to be called out and i felt that talking about Saudi Arabia's human rights record wasn't a particularly controversial position to take, but like you say, it's, um, you know, I know that people, people's football clubs mean everything to them. Um, but yeah, I didn't mind that I got a, you know, a reaction for that one. Um, I think probably the times where you get the, the feedback that this things more is where, uh, if someone points out something about your work that you already feel vulnerable about, like if there's an area that you think, like the, the worst feedback can get is where someone says, you know, this is rubbish because, and then points out what it is, and you're like, oh god, they're right. That's that's the worst. When someone's absolutely nailed you, you think, yeah, you're you're right, you've done me there. But at the same time, you you try to use that and and improve. And but moving on to, do you ever get? a lot of praise as well i imagine that must be really good because it's funny isn't it you know people like mm. to laugh people will tell you that they've they've had a good laugh to your your um your cartoons and i think as this is going on i think ryan and danny are texting each other about <laughs> with uh, little cartoon strips that have come in oh great yeah <laughs> so no that's, that's always nice but i am aware that like i have to if i'm going to take the the nice stuff then i have to take the you know the, the bad stuff as well so um yeah it's as somebody who doesn't take compliments 
very well either. It's like I, I think I'm learning to 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 be, you know, uh, a bit more relaxed about it. Maybe a bit more relaxed about everything. I mean, I'm onto my second beer now, so I mean that that might explain it. Um, that's terrible advice for anyone to deal with anything, but um, but yeah. Welcome back. You're still listening to Man Marking. I've got the two fellas in the audience with me, Ant and Ryan. In the audience. Not in the audience. Well, you should be in the audience watching me perform. Superb. I'm going to start again. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. You're still listening to Man Marking. I've still got Ryan and Ant in the studio with me. One of the, um, I think one of the most interesting aspects of, of that interview with, with David is, as we spoke about at the start, he's a very... He's a, he's very well loved, isn't he, by a lot of people in the, in in the game, by supporters and by other journalists as well. And he's someone who's clearly brilliant at what he does. He's clearly very talented, and he brings a lot of joy to people. I mean, we regularly post his his cartoons in different WhatsApp groups, and even David has struggles with kind of his own work and his belief in his own work. And he says regularly, he sends it off to his his editor, and he'll be like, "Oh God," like apologetic about sending it. And I do think that that is, that is a, you know, it's probably something that a lot of people feel. I certainly know that sort of feeling as well. And, and even doing this podcast, every time we put an episode out, I'm thinking, oh God, what if nobody listens? What if they don't like it? You know, what if we, you know, what if, what if people don't want to hear from us? What if we're annoying people by posting stuff? And, and it's really hard not to fall into that trap. I think particularly when, you know, we talked about social media. You can see that constant flow of, of content and, and, and feedback and back and forth and all the rest of it. It's very hard not to fall into that trap. So I suppose my question then to you two would be, and how do you kind of deal with those feelings that you've, if you've ever had them about either, you know, maybe not quite as, as severe as maybe like an imposter syndrome, but maybe like not feeling that you were good enough for something or, you know, trying to find that confidence to, to do something when maybe you weren't sure if you were in the right place or not? Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, you, I, mean, I think you get those type of situations in like everyday life and it mm. could be, might not be anything that you create and send off. could be when you're just talking about yourself. Yeah. So I think often we play ourselves down a bit and, and get the joke in before and I think we've talked about this before. It's, a, it's like a, it's a way of like defending yourself but often it's not really necessary and then if you do it too much, it becomes like the norm. So like the joke will start to like hit home a little bit, and it's it is difficult. I think in in terms of a like a creative side, I'm I'm the same as you. Like I I, I worry every time we, we send something out, yeah. but I think once you do it, it's just like ripping the plaster off, and yeah. it might not hurt as much as you yeah. think, really. Yeah. And it's kind of one of them with sports and stuff there have been times where I've I've stood at the end of my mark in, in, in cricket and gone I've just been here for six do I really want to be here right now and that's not because cricket's boring yeah, but that's yeah, just because yeah. it's like am I good enough am I not and it's just about trying to find a clear mind and the only the only way I can do that is is by kind of visualising like nothing's really going on in my head it's just mm. take a few deep breaths and, and go again because if you narrow it down, you've got like five more balls to go. And, and it, it affects like your enjoyment of yeah. something that you're there to enjoy because you're constantly questioning Absolutely. whether you, you know you deserve to be there or not. I, suppose, I think it's it? more more prominent in like sports like football, mm. really, because I think it's a lot more competitive. Even at an amateur level, it's very competitive. It's like, oh, you're not good enough, this, that, and the other. You're very reliant on 
the other people in the team, aren't you? I yeah, suppose. exactly as well. And that can be really difficult, particularly you know even like playing like five sides, you get like humped every week, and you're like, oh, it's, mm. it's not fun. No. It's not fun. You, and it can quickly get quite non enjoyable yeah, if you're losing, particularly when you're paying five pounds as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, particularly in this economy, to get to get past that, I think you you just got to you've got to get yourself in a place where you can believe in yourself. And you go, no, I am good enough. I am yeah. better than that. I've got the skills. I've got, I've, you know, and if you logically kind of work it out and you go, well, shouldn't really be anything wrong here. I'm all right. Yeah. And it's being kinder to yourself as well, yeah, isn't it? And exactly. it's like, and it's kind of sort of reminding yourself what it is that you're doing there. I mean, I, I understand that massively with, with football. Um, huge. I mean, the, the thing with, with football now, we all play together on a Monday night. I've got this injury at the moment, but for a long time, I felt like I'm not as good as I used to be at football for a number of reasons, mainly just because I'm fat now. But... It, it, I find it hard because I used to derive a lot of kind of self-confidence from the fact that I was good at football. It was like a, a big part of my self-esteem. And then when you can't rely on that anymore, it's quite difficult. And then when you're there, I'm going, oh God, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more of a hindrance than I am a help here at this point because you can't do what you used to be able to do sort of thing. So it is difficult. And for me, I often get to the point where I finish on a Monday night and I'm not like, I, I'm not playing anymore. I just don't want to play anymore. I think it's difficult as well when you've got like, you know, particularly with, with David's work, it's, it's based on what the others think. Yeah. So oh, I, think that, I think that's really hard. And I think if you're trying to appeal to that, it's really difficult. But as long as you've done the best that you can do and you believe that's good enough, yeah. and first of all, you believe it, it it's relevant, yeah. then I think you're onto a winner already. And, and, and remind yourself why you do something as well. Remind you, I mean, we we do it with the podcast a lot. You know, when we get positive messages sent to us, I mean, we had a really nice one from from Jordan Broadbent recently, didn't we? Yeah. Who, who we who we had on the podcast about the number of people that had messaged him on the back of the interview that he did, players that he used to coach about times and they've struggled, yeah. and it was the first time they'd ever spoken to anyone and they've been kind of inspired by his words. And we always say it reminds us why we do it and why we take the time to to put them together. Ryan, you and I have had lots of conversations about how you're someone who likes to kind of soak up as much knowledge as possible and learn things. And I remember once you saying to me that you often did it out of a thing of, because you didn't go to uni and you maybe felt as though you'd not got as much education as some of your peers and that sort of thing. Yeah, Is that just that kind of search for knowledge that you've got? Does that ever come out of a thing of not wanting to, be behind other people or not having like a you know feeling as though you're not able to to converse as well because of that maybe self-belief kind of thing um potentially yeah i mean my my sort of education story is a weird one i tried to go through a bit of an alternative path and do a like a soccer scholarship when i was 17 and even then there was a bit of like an imposter syndrome because i remember turning up on the day and i was in the changing rooms and we'd all the lads no one knew each other and we were all just chatting and then I was already nervous and loads of the lads were turning around going like, yeah, so I was at City till I was 17 or, oh yeah, I was at Man United, then I went to Sunderland and then I was sitting there thinking, I played a bit of Sunday and Saturday league game and, yeah. I'm a, and it proper hit me. I just did what I could to get through and it, it went all right. And then I remember a few years later, I was, I used to run like a small side business selling uh, like health food bars and had a blog and a website and I was really into it. And I asked this um, this writer called Gary Torbs to come on, expecting him to say no and he got back to me and he did. And I did like a Q&A with him and I remember thinking, I shouldn't be asking you questions yeah. because I'm, I'm, and it was fine. I look back on it now and go, no, you, they're good experiences to feel uncomfortable, to feel vulnerable. 
you look back on them and you learn from them and, and it, not doing them would have been worse than doing them and feeling you did a bad job at them. Yeah. And I didn't do a bad job at either of them really, but I, I could have done better in both cases. And I think, I think when you say, is it sort of making up for, for lost time? I suppose it is in a, in a degree. Um, I think it's naturally in, in my sort of personality as well to want to do those things. Yeah. But equally, I do think when you haven't been to uni, you feel like you need to justif- justify sort of... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know like, what you justify, well, but it's I, that I feel almost like, like oh, you, you can only go so far without yeah. a degree. That well, our generation, time. I feel like we were all told it was just a natural, you do school, you do college, then you go to uni. And that was, I just don't ever remember there being... Mm-hmm. Much of another angle, and I don't. My experience was probably different from your experiences, yeah. just because we went to different schools. So, in our school, it was very much you go to you go to school, then you go to college, and then you go to uni, and that was it. And it was mm-hmm. just everything was just set up to do that. And in hindsight, I probably would have done things differently if I'd known a yeah. bit better. But you know, everything's what I, easier. What in I would hindsight. say in relation to to David Squires, though, is what I've tried to learn to do, which is hopefully what he does as well. Is that nervous feeling you get? It's maybe not a case of you need to replace it. That's what makes you, like your standards stay high. Yeah. That he still, after hundreds of cartoons, being really successful, being in Germany, France, the UK, Australia. If he didn't get nervous, would he be? Yeah, it shows he cares, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. And I think it becomes. That. My mum does it all the time. It's just this thing when she's hosting people that we've like and Bob's laughing here but say like say like you have loads of people around for a meal yeah she'll always save the food and go oh it's not the best I've done of that yeah it's like a nervous reaction it's just yeah. like verbal diarrhea that but makes I, you comfortable doing everyone it. does it and I think I say everyone but a lot of people do it and, yeah. and I think it comes down to that thing of just being kinder to yourself being yeah. nicer to yourself and A like it's like genuinely People properly don't care. It, like, it, like pe- 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 people don't care as much about the standards that you think you need to set all the time as you do. Do you know I what I mean? I think people. I think it's just a very British way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah. People go oh, Self, well, like self-deprecating. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, you're arrogant. You haven't apologised that this might be crap. And you're yeah. Like, what? I know. Like, like <laughs> someone's invited sense. you around to their house. They've spent all day cooking food yeah. for you, and the first thing they do is apologise yeah. that it's not that good. And you think no. it's mad. <laughs> the reason the reason I was laughing was because. <laughs> <laughs> when I thought he was going to start talking about like, <laughs> like just get their nerves and cleans everywhere because that's what happens in our house. Oh yeah, and it's like you right. can't eat them sausage rolls, and you're like, oh, but I'm going to go and eat one. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Bill Bailey was saying this the other day. It's a very British thing. So, and he was actually making a comparison with Australia, which is probably quite relevant with squires living there. That if you ask someone in Australia how they are, they go, "I'm awesome." And if you ask someone in England, they say, I'm not that bad. Like, our good is not being bad. Yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's a yeah. very British thing to do. We never I'm getting by. Go, I'm getting by. Yeah, oh, could be worse. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I do it all the time myself. Just getting by, just struggling through. And you're like, could be worse. Like, you want it to be worse. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Thank heavens. <laughs> like, Everyone else is like in America. Could have had a car you? accident this morning and I haven't. <laughs> so, you know, win-win. But I do think, I think that, that, that that's a... It's a very easy cycle to fall into, isn't it? Is to is to just put yourself down and to, you know, when you're doing something, to feel like it could be better, it could be better, it could be better. Not, and not it, want to be a burden as well. Yeah. Here's the other one. Is uh, I heard it last night. I was watching the goggle box last night, and someone was going on about, oh, you got to make sure you've got a clean underwear on just in case you get hit by a bus. I was like, that's not why you wear it. That's not why you wear a clean just, underwear. Just don't, just don't get it by a bus. I know. Maybe. <laughs> If you're dead, you're that, that arsed. If you soiled yourself, just get hit by a three-ton vehicle. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Calvin Klein on a set? be perfect when you get hit by a bus. Just David Beckham in a big double-decker. David Beckham on one of them, like, 
stretches <laughs> <laughs> like he's in a war film. But no, I think, yeah, I think you are right. And I think for David to talk about that, I think for people listening, it'll probably be eye-opening to think, well, there's someone who's been incredibly successful. That's something that is very niche as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what he does is, I, I mean, I can't think of anybody that I know that, that does what he does. There are people who do cartoons and do political cartoons. That's quite a, you know, quite a well-known trope, but not someone who does them the way he does them. They're very unique. No, and, and also... And they're very recognisable as well. Yeah, there's also like a, a, a way of like a career path out there as well, to learn from as well, which yeah. is like, just get out there and, and, and throw it out there and throw it to anyone and yeah. people, people are going to listen. And you, you're not going to know. You're not going to... Like, I think the thing that holds a lot of people back, and we've certainly discussed this with the podcast, is what if they say no? What if they don't like it? What if it's, yeah. people don't find it funny? It, you won't know unless you try, and I do think, and and, and I we I think we would all say we all understand that feeling of nervousness about putting yourself out there. It's very difficult to do so, and we've spoken to a lot of people on the podcast who've taken that step to do it in various different ways, and a lot of what we do on the podcast is about that, is about making yourself vulnerable and putting yourself out there, and you will, people will take the piss, people will be critical, because that's what that's the nature of the world, but. People will probably also love it if you care about it and you want and you put your heart and soul into something and you believe in it. Then people will will respect it. People will will enjoy it and people will get something out of it. And and it doesn't. You don't have to be, you know, have a hundred and fifty thousand followers and be verified on Twitter for it to be good or for it to be worthy. If you want to do it and you enjoy it, then do it. That's one of the beauties of the way that the internet is set up these days. Is that for us, we can just buy some equipment sit here and record and put it on the internet for people to listen to. It's that easy. We and don't if you have... look at the difference from when we started to now. Exactly. We'd I like I'd cringe listening back, but you couldn't have been here now without that. Exactly. And you'd probably do the same in another fifty episodes to today. Yeah. You'd be like, Oh, we do it so much difference and you're like, gotta get past that awkward stage and then just A hundred percent wear it. Exactly for everyone to see, and I think like somebody like David coming up and saying, even someone who's been as successful as he has has, has worked in his craft and has and, and has found ways of being better at it. But even he still struggles with it, and it's fine to have that nervousness and have that worry about it, but still be confident in doing stuff because that's that's what we need, and we need that more now than ever. You know, the content stuff that's funny, stuff to keep us occupied, stuff to keep us distracted from what is an incredibly difficult time for people. Um, Lads, I think we probably time for us to wrap up there. I think so. Thanks for uh, thanks for your for your time as always, chaps. Smashing the microphone for us there, and <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks very much as usual, lads. Um, before we go, we obviously want to want to put you in the direction of a couple of organisations. If any of the themes have triggered any negative feelings in you, you can obviously access places like Calm and Mind. And as we always say, the Samaritans are available twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. And that number is one one six one two three, and we'll put some links and stuff on our on the bio as well on this episode. Thank you very much for for listening to to Man Mark, and we do always appreciate your your ears and your time. And and uh, yeah, if you have enjoyed it, then then head over to wherever you listen to your to your podcast, be that uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever, and, and and give it a like, give it a subscribe, and and tell your friends and your family about it too. You can find us on Twitter at Mark underscore Man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking lads? So our next bit of content that we'll be releasing will be on our YouTube channel, which is our episodes with Pat Nevin. Uh, That'll be out on Wednesday. We'll be dropping that in the morning. It'll also be on the usual places, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. And then our 
episode after that will be out on Monday with Dr. Catherine Mannix. So that should be a lot of fun. So thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. My first one is, if you could have contemporaneously drawn any moments in football history, what would it have been? But immediately my mind goes to Mexico 86, because that was probably, you know, the, the most... Uh, one of those formative football memories, the injustice of the, the Maradona handball. And then, you know, you have to say it's brilliant of the, the second one. So, um, yeah, I'd probably go back and, and draw that. But, I mean, that's something that I've covered so often. Yeah, maybe the sort of um, right the way back to the sort of 1800s early football sort of pantaloons and, uh, you know, <laughs> snoods, that sort of era. <laughs> so you designed Rock and Robin, Swindon Town. Uh, and here be the hammer, a West Ham FC mascot. What's your favourite yeah. mascot? Uh, I would probably say, I mean, I sort of don't like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, I probably, uh, given the amount of co- cartoon content he's given me over the last few years, probably Gunnosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> kind of obvious, but yeah. It's always handy. Actually, they are handy for the cartoons because if you want just a sort of generic figure to represent a club, then the mascots are always good comedy value. Um, so, David, obviously, I think we might have touched on this before. Where you at the 1993 Swindon Tramia floodlight scandal? Did you turn the lights off? I was at that game. I didn't turn them off. I, we had some great games during that period. And... Um, so I have got, a, 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 I mentioned this to you before we, we started recording. Uh, one of my f- most cherished items of football memorabilia is a, is a light bulb that I unscrewed from the, <laughs> from the scoreboard at Prenton Park after the playoff semifinal when we beat you. And uh, there's always been like, since then, there's been this sort of hostility between the clubs because of the floodlight failure. But um, which was completely legitimate. Uh, <laughs> I noticed he's gone quite at the other end of the line. I'm thinking, uh, Danny, you that... could edit this to set for David <laughs> saying I unscrewed a light bulb and then floodlight yeah. failure and tram your semi-final. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a, a different game. But the um, but yeah, that that um, the light bulb is at, at my family home back in Swindon in a box of other stuff from, from when I left home when I was 19. And I really want that light bulb back, but there's no way that I'm asking my mum and dad to go into the attic and look in what else was in that box from when I was 19, because I know <laughs> what I was like. I know what I was like when I was 19, and there's nothing else good in there. So the, 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 the roundabout in Swindon, David, the magic roundabout, what's, yeah. in, what's that all about? It's actually, it's all right. When you, once you, once you look at it and once you've been over it a few times, it works all right. I'll stand by the magic roundabout. Having said that, I did fail my driving test on it in 1993, and I only got my driving test in 2012. Uh, sorry, I only got my driving license in 2012 when I moved here. So it did obviously leave a, a, a deep and lasting scar. Um, so, so, yeah. You know, the thing about that roundabout is when I first started football, um, with um, my friend and his dad. His dad would make us, after the game, run across the middle of the Magic Roundabout because he parked his car on the other side. And I would spend the whole game just worrying about 
having to run the gauntlets across the magic roundabout <laughs> at five o'clock on a Saturday where like it's absolutely chocker because you know football crowds and uh, you know town centre shopping traffic and I just think oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get killed. So um, yeah, happy days. <laughs> <laughs> so are you scared of spiders? And what's the biggest spider you've seen while being in Australia? Oh, they're monsters. Absolute <laughs> monsters. The biggest one I probably saw was uh, when we were in Queensland, far north Queensland, and there was, I swear to God, there, I don't know what I don't know what kind of spider it was, but it was the size of a car. It was ridiculous. <laughs> 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 Completely unnecessary. Like, all it does is catch, you know, catch flies. It's completely uncalled for. Uh, what do you miss about England uh, the most, if you miss anything at all? Oh, what do I miss? I think this is where you meant to see your like, family and stuff. Oh, <laughs> shit, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, friends. <laughs> oh, family, yeah, yeah, family. Uh, Besides them. Decent chips. You can't get proper chips here. I know that's the most sort of Brexit thing to say. <laughs> David, was drawing the purple dildo going into Alan Irwin's ear in 2014? the highlight of your career do you know it was probably a that might have been a turning point genuinely that was a cartoon that uh the next day the guardian got in contact and said uh what do you think about doing some cartoons for us so um it only yeah it was a life-changing moment if that everton fan hadn't done that then you know we might not be having this conversation it's do you know what I love that's one of my favorite ones that you've done and there's a bit in it where the kids studying well Alan Irwin is studying at school and he's pulling a face like his tongue's coming out and we always yeah. put it in the group chat when somebody's like stumbling <laughs> over something we just put that picture in all the time. Oh, nice! So good. Excellent. <laughs> glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that it's it's still got legs. It's, it's good to hear. <laughs> mistake, squares it for Maskell, can he finish it off, brilliant save from Mixon, can he make it the second brilliant save, no he can't, and that, I have to say, has finished off Tranmere Rovers, barring a miracle, and there is the final whistle of Tranmere Rovers season, joyous scenes on the Swindon Town bench, they're going to Wembley yet again, a great night for Swindon Town. A great night for First Division football. Glenn Hoddle says he hasn't been to Wembley in 10 years. And he's going back to a ground which deserves his presence. But what an evening for Tranmere Rovers. It was just beyond their grasp. But the great performances in the history of the Wirral Club. 